Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy, Mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Our Lord, your Holy Spirit, through David's pen, has brought us to this place of understanding where you welcome us with your mercy. Our place in being qualified for a welcome with you is to acknowledge our need. And you are more than ready to greet us and welcome us with your mercy. We are asking that today we will know we are abiding in your presence and that you will be speaking to each one as individuals through your word, through our conversations with one another, that you will speak to us according to our core issues, that we may be more consistent and strong in our walk with you in this world with the expectation of a glad welcome into your presence in a day to come. We ask for this outcome of you, Good Shepherd, Jesus, amen. Romans chapter 6 
beginning in verse 15, and I'm going to make a confession here. Romans is tough. <laughs> and it's not so much that it's tough to understand. Paul is adamantly clear. I mean, he hammers home the same points over and over and over again. Confession, personal confession. I need that. Repetition, repetition, repetition. It finally sinks in. <laughs> okay. But we're in the middle of his explanation, and he has been addressing the congregation or congregations of the church in Rome. He's writing from Corinth. This is before he makes his big voyage across the Mediterranean at Roman expense uh, to where he spends two years in under house arrest. Uh, this is before then, and he's writing to them, wishing saying, I really wanted to come and be with you former times, but haven't had the chance. This is my plan. Okay, that was fulfilled. But what he's doing is he's laying out in Romans the mighty work of God in redemption. Redemption in the sense both of creating a welcome for fallen, sinful, guilty, 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 guilty human beings creating a welcome for them, a glad, glad welcome into his presence. And the single key word that sums up all of that is the word justification. And Paul is very, very clear the two big key words in Romans are justification and salvation, and they are distinct solution words to two distinct problems. The first problem he addresses is our need of forgiveness. We need to be moved from that place of condemnation to a place where we are justified before the just and holy God. We can experience a welcome with him, not condemnation, not judgment. What did God do to free him, the holy God, to welcome us, to embrace us? He is holy. He is unrestrained holiness. We don't even know what that means. And as I've stated before, if we did, it would immobilize us. We would be, <laughs> we would faint. In his presence, earlier in one of the songs that we sang earlier where it talks about seeing the Lord on his throne, we have an episode of that in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah, the prophet, this is his calling to be a prophet, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He's seeing into the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies, in the heavenly temple. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on his throne. And before him were the angels of fire, the seraphim, singing back and forth. They each have three pairs of wings. With two they fly. With two they cover their eyes. How dare they look upon the holy God? With two they cover their feet, 
They cannot put their feet down because it is a fire, a floor of fire before the throne of God. And they're singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, back and forth and back and forth. And you know what? It never gets old because God's holiness is greater than they could ever say it. No matter how repetitious they were, they would never be done. God is always more holy. And Isaiah's response is, I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips. I've actually praised, my interpretation, I have actually praised other deities or I've unrighteously praised people. I've, I've used my lips that should have been solely praised for God to praise other. I am a man of unclean lips dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And Judah was a nation of unclean people. By the way, Isaiah ultimately will be martyred because of his steadfast loyalty to God in that culture. I'm a man of unclean lips, dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm undone. I'm undone. How can I survive this? And an angel takes a coal from off of the heavenly altar and touches his lips. Your mouth is cleansed. <laughs> would that be the cure we would seek? <laughs> but that was the cure given. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the holy God who actually he justifies us. He accomplished for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. God the Son, fully God. Nicene Creed, Creed has it right. He is true God of true God. The old-fashioned way, he is very God of very God, very man of very man, joined together in one person. True God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in one. He is fully God, fully man joined together in one person and he was sinless he is the lamb of god the sinless lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world said john the baptist and that is what he did when he went to the cross god the father sent god the son the sinless one even his enemies couldn't name a single sin his enemies. And he went to Calvary, was nailed to a wooden altar. And he was on that altar from about three, nine in the morning to about three in the afternoon. In the middle of the day, about noon, it became dark. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew, but when you are expressing something in your deep anguish, you will state it as a question. And then he was able, the sixth of the seventh statements from the cross, to tell us die, it is paid in full. 
It is finished. I've just paid off the sin debt of the human race. Father, into your hands I dismiss my spirit. Job done. And we, how do we benefit from what he did? We abandon all trust in our own righteousness. Satan's two principal lies to the human race are, Oh, you're good enough. Hey, look at your neighbor. He's worse than you are. Forget about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Lie. All of our righteousnesses, the scripture says. This is a very polite translation. Ask me privately what it really means. All of your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. They are absolutely abominable. Before The best we have to offer. The best. We abandon all hope in our own performance. We cast ourselves on his mercy. We transfer our trust from our own performance to the performance of God the Son on the cross who paid sin's penalty for us. It is finished. It is paid in full. And as I've noted almost every Sunday for years now, that word means paid in full in both the marketplace and in the Roman court system. Your sin debt, your crime debt has been paid off. You have perfect freedom now. And that's what Jesus said from the cross. And I, when we move from condemnation to justification is when we abandon our own performance and we say to God, Lord, have mercy on me. As your son's work on the cross enables you to do, I am transferring my trust to what he did for me on the cross. And you step from a place of utter, complete condemnation before God to a complete welcome. You are now just before the just God. That is what God has done for us. That solves problem A our condemnation problem. Problem B is, oh, I still have a fallen sinful nature. I still have abiding in me this bent towards sin and towards rebellion that I received as an inheritance all the way from Adam, my forefather, all the way down to me. I still have that. Lord, have you done anything to address this problem? Yes, I have. The instant you, Mark, transferred your trust from your own goodness, your own works, to the work of my son, and I welcomed you, I caused you, I, your spirit and soul became alive to me. Just as he had said to, to Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, you must be born from above. It is heaven's initiative. And you were born from above. Your own spirit soul were given life before me. But also, God the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Trinity, took up residence within you. How are you to address your sinfulness problem? 
your abiding sin nature problem. You have another person dwelling within you to supply divine energy to you to defy the energy of your fallen nature. You no longer have to obey your fallen nature. Now your fallen nature is standing there. Oh yeah. You must obey me. You must. And we can say no in Jesus name. And according to God's word, I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in defiance of your feelings. You can trust in God's promise and say to your own fallen nature, go pound sand in defiance of my feelings, but according to his divine energy, I'm going to believe his word, embrace his promise and allow his promise to embrace me back. I'm going to walk in his word. And this is the word of the Holy Spirit. It is the tool the Holy Spirit uses. The Holy Spirit is not just an influence. It is a person. And he is there as our coach, as our advisor. And this is his instruction book. Walk in my word, he says. Trust me. Hear my words of wise direction. Walk, set your feet on that path. And in defiance of your fallen nature, in defiance of the world system that surrounds you, that is screaming other enticements to you, and in defiance of Lucifer himself, walk in my strength, in obedience, and trust in my instruction, my word. That in Romans is called salvation. That is the solution to my sinfulness problem. And the two things uh, that I do, I... I trust in walk in the strength of the indwelling holy spirit and the other thing that paul points to and he's going to this is still it's he's already stated it, but he's going to restate it and restate it and restate it because i need it i'm sorry that the rest of you have to get dragged through this with me uh speak out for me take a public stand for me and as we began romans 6 last week paul talks about baptism baptism but not the part involving the water the part involving the public confession the public confession typically in the standard format of someone stepping out of the world system into god's kingdom the first time you will make a public profession would be when you are baptized now it's not always that way but it's a kind of the standard format and you state to your old friends in sin, I am no longer the person I was. I have a new identity. I used to be a devilian. Now I'm a Christian. <laughs> and know this, my identity has changed. The format and framework of my life has changed. And it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. And when you, those are the two things that contribute to my seeing sin's power broken in my life. Romans 10, 10, Paul summarizes his whole argument, his all. <laughs> With the heart, we believe unto justification. 
with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That summarizes this. Okay, now let's dive back into the details, okay? So that's the broad view. Now let's get down into this. And so right here, right in the middle, as I stated a couple minutes ago, the opening paragraph of Romans 6, what he emphasizes is um, baptism. He points to baptism because of the public confession aspect of baptism. And so he says, let me back up to verse 12. Uh, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And yes, when you sin, you're actually obeying the world, the flesh, and the devil. Don't obey them. Obey Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign exercise authority in your mortal body and your walk in this world that you should obey it in its lust and its agenda and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin stop it that's your old form of life that's not your new form of life but present yourselves to god as being alive from the dead lord it used to be i had no choice but to serve the world the flesh and the devil there was no other option now because you made me alive you forgave me and made me alive by the indwelling of your holy spirit in relationship with you and i took a public stand for you i can now step away from my sinful lusts do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourself, this is an offering. But present yourselves, offer yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Lord, I'm a whole new person. I have capacities I didn't have before. I'm alive. I'm alive. As being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of unrighteousness to God. Don't use your hands for wickedness. Don't use your feet to walk you to wickedness. No. Your body is something you are entrusted with by God. You are to use your physical body as well as your spirit and soul to advance righteousness, not wickedness. Present your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you stop it sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace god's provision okay paul's already been addressing this issue of law versus grace is there anything wrong with the law there is not a single thing wrong with the law <coughs> if you use it in its appointed task <clears throat> the law was designed by God, by the way, before, before the Ten Commandments came down off Mount Sinai. How in the world did they know right from wrong? Hey, Lord, would have been a big favor to the rest of the human race if uh, in 1440 B.C. if you just not done that. <laughs> We'd all would have been uh, a lot more walking. No, 
They knew what was right and wrong. There's nothing in the Ten Commandments that's a surprise. The law was already written on their hearts before Mount, the Mount Sinai event, just as it is written on our hearts now. And so as Paul is addressing Gentiles in this letter to the Romans, is there any surprise in the... No. There's no surprise there. Shall we sin? Okay, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. But law has no power. It is a diagnostic tool. It tells us what is wrong. It doesn't fix the problem. What fixes the problem is God's aggressive mercy. That is why 600 years before the birth of Jesus, Jeremiah 31, 31, God says, I'm so done with you people. Now, there's no surprise here. He's already hinted at the, the new covenant long before. <laughs> Even in the garden, I will bring a seed from the woman and he will crush your head, Lucifer, and you'll bruise his heel. This is, I'm going to create a new covenant with you. Not like the covenant with I made with you from Mount Sinai. Which covenant you broke in every conceivable way. I mean, you could sit there and read the Ten Commandments. You could read the rest of the mandates of Leviticus. And you go, man, they managed to disobey everything. Not just once. Repeatedly. Every generation. Over and over. And God says in Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Not like the covenant we made on Mount Sinai. Which covenant you broke i will not you will i will i will i will third i will your sins and iniquities remember no more and what does jesus say in the upper room this cup he's just initiated the lord's supper this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. On Calvary's mountain, he is about to accomplish the task that allows the setting in place of the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, in my blood, in my sacrifice. And he set us free. He welcomed us into the new covenant. What shall we say then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Is grace simply a system where, hey, I can go do whatever I want? No, 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 no. God's a good parent. Good parents observe their children and they guide their steps. They train them how to avoid stupidity. Good parents do, at any rate, and God's a good father. Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Is grace permissiveness? No, it is provision. Grace means gifting. It's not just God's saying, oh, forget being good. No, 
I am providing for you to enable you to walk the walk you couldn't walk before. Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves who obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin unto leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Now, one of the formats we need to understand that was in the thinking of the Romans, everybody in the Roman Mediterranean world, is that is slavery. When a couple, when the wife gave birth to a child, and let's put it in the setting of the standard uh, Roman or Greek household, <coughs> the Romans and Greeks actually in some ways were really really wise people when the legal wife of the husband gave birth to a child son or daughter that child was not legally that father's that estate owner's child that child had no more legal standing than a slave than that that person had bought out in the market that child had no legal protection, no legal rights at all. It was a bond. It was the same as a slave or bond servant. And what the head of the estate would do is this was standard format <clears throat> of all my servants, slaves, who is the wisest? Who have I got in the daily management of my estate? Okay. Uh, Socrates, come here. Socrates, I'm putting you in charge of training this child, this boy or girl. I'm putting you in charge of training this boy or girl so that <clears throat> when the, you believe they are actually trained in a way that they can carry responsibility in the household, the number one task of the guy that owned the estate was not turning it over to a knucklehead who would then waste it. Okay, take my son or daughter, <clears throat> my child, train them to be wise managers of the estate. When you believe they have reached that point where they know what to do and they are actually emotionally mature enough to do it right, you bring them to me <clears throat> and I will quiz them. <clears throat> and if they pass my testing, my quizzing, I will take them down to the courthouse and I will adopt them. And it was at that point that child would actually become legally a son. Now, whether you were a male or a female, when your daddy took you to the courthouse and adopted you, even if you were a female, you were called son because that meant heir of the estate. And Paul says this in Galatians, whether Jew, Gentile, bond free, male or female, we are all sons of God, full heirs of the estate through faith in Christ. So we become heirs of the estate when we come to faith in Christ, 
But here he's using that format to address them. Am I supposed to be a knucklehead? I've been welcomed into God's family. He is my father. I am supposed to walk in wisdom. He's made every provision to me, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I have taken a public stand for him. Ought I not to walk in the reality of that? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? I've been set free from servitude. I am now an heir of the estate. Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slave whom, whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death. You know, oh, I'm going to do whatever I want. No, you're behaving like Satan's slave. Get out of here. Where'd you get this idea you're doing what's best? No. Do what God says. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves who obey you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? And one of the shocks of walking with the Lord is when you actually walk in his power and his wisdom and I'm sure that many here can stand up and testify. You discover yourself to be in places of blessing you never could have imagined before. Oh, well, that's cool. Lord, thank you for directing me to this place unexpectedly. God has always got his fingerprints over the process. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. When you transferred your trust from your own performance to the work of Jesus Christ, you were not only exercising faith, you were not only receiving the mercy, the gift of his mercy, you were also obeying his command. God commands, the scripture said, God commands all men, all human beings everywhere, you can say it with me, to repent. Stepping into God's kingdom is a gift to be received. It is a promise to be believed. It is also a command to be obeyed. God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You became enabled by God to walk in righteousness. I am speaking in human terms. I'm taking this format of instruction from the world system here. Try to make it easier for you. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented yourselves as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, this is what characterized you before you were welcomed into the kingdom, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Lord, I will obey you, I will obey you, I will obey you, I will... Oh, look, I'm actually seeing authentic righteousness. I'm seeing authentic holiness rising from me? <laughs> really? 
Thank you, Lord. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You know what? I think you can all say before you came to faith in Christ, there wasn't one truly good thing you did. God says so. And I think we should agree with him. For when we were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? Do you really want to continue? Do you want to go back to that? Really? Does not Satan entice us all to go back, to go back, to go back? <sighs> yes, he does. You don't have to obey him. For the end of those things is death. Death. You will regret it, regret it, regret it, regret it. But now, having been set free from sin, you've been set free from sin. You no longer have to obey your fallen nature. You no longer have to obey the world system. You no longer have to obey Lucifer having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God. What does that mean? God has taken full responsibility for you. You are in his household. You are being trained for kingdom glory, stepping into the fullness of your inheritance. But we're still, many of us, in the learning process but now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end, and the end, everlasting life. He is not just talking about life going on forever. He is talking about stepping into the presence of the everlasting, the eternal, the immeasurable in his holiness in his glory, in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, in his kindness, God. Are you willing, you might be of interest to hang out with that God? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, it's going to get even better and better and better and better. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the measure of his mercy, his re the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. We're going to have to have incorruptible bodies in order to endure the blessing, <laughs> to welcome the blessing of his glorious presence and gifting to us when we step into his presence and he says, yes, I got it covered. I got it done. I got it done. That's the hope of glory that he sets before us for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, 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 not death, life, 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 life. So the same Isaiah, whose immediate response to stepping into God's presence, I am undone. I am undone. Oh, there's no way I can survive this. Whew. When he was martyred, when he was sawn in two, 
by order of King Manasseh, he stepped into the welcoming presence of his God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal, glorious, glorious, glorious life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What has he taken us from? Unimaginable condemnation to outrageously glorious welcome with him. Glad, glad, glad. And he's happy to do it. He loved us so much when we were as unlike him as we could possibly be. He sent his son to pay sin's penalty for us so that he could trans both legally forgive us and welcome us gladly into his presence. Folks, we have a God that truly loves us. Let's speak to that loving God together right now. Our Lord, you love us. You left nothing out in what you did to create a welcome for us. You loved us so much that you gave your only begotten son, the heir of all things. And all we had to do was abandon our trust in our own righteousness in favor of what he accomplished for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, said your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We just needed to be a whoever. Just like the man crucified beside you, who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and you immediately replied, you will be with me this day in paradise. The man on the other side, there's no testimony from him or about him. They both had the same opportunity, but only one took advantage of it. And you gave him that wonderful promise. Lord, that promise is our promise as well. We thank you. We ask that this week you would deepen, deepen, deepen our grasp, our understanding of your love, unrelenting love for us, and that we will walk in the fullness of our, the understanding that we stand welcome before you walk in the fullness of the understanding that we are likewise indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit himself, to enable us to walk in your right, to do a righteous walk that otherwise would be absolutely unattainable. We thank you for your provision. This is what eternal life is. This is what life with the eternal God looks like both in this venue here we are in presently in and in the venue to come when we step into your presence. We give you all the thanks. In your name, Good Shepherd Jesus. Amen.